0: The praise team kind of just did the message. Are we good? Oh, yeah. Uh, They sang, nothing is better than you for what he's done. And I hope that as you looked at the screen, if you had the John Madden thing, you would have circled the word he, because too often we bring in a lot of conversation about what we've done, but this is about what he's done. And then they sang, there's power over depression and addiction, and and folks, I just want to pray as we get started. There are families in this church that are hurting, and uh, we have experienced in our church this week uh, funerals. We did seven in ten days. Do another one tomorrow. Uh, uh, the uh, another one of our saints, Bob Banks, who was a career missionary uh passed away his service will be tomorrow we've had multiple births uh in in our church within the last month or so uh we we have uh, weddings that are going on uh it's a pretty amazing kind of family thing that's going on we have uh, families that are that are hurting over a, a medical diagnosis, surgeries that are going on uh, this week, uh, uh, family members who are are having to to be in places where they can get some help. It's it's uh, it's it's real and it's family. So I want to pray. God, thanks, thanks that we can come to you with our addictions and our depressions with our sense of, I can't do this another day. God, I I just cry out to you on behalf of this church that you would allow comfort in grief, that you would allow uh, a sense of confidence when there is no job, that you would allow hope in addiction and depression and anxiety and fear, that you would allow families to know their kids are going to be okay. That you would allow a, a lady in our church facing a serious surgery on Tuesday to have a sense that she's going to be okay. Lord, thanks that we can come together in this community of faith. That we can sit and have these songs just sing over us. And, and there are people in this, this room that are, that are just too hurt to even sing. And I thank you that they can just let these words wash over them. Pray today as we open the scripture that there would be similar hope, that we we can know that nothing is better than you, that we can thank you for what you have done, and that there is power over depression and addiction, anxiety, and fear. And so, God, just we receive what words you would have for us today that we could carry in our week a sense that we've been with others We've been online with others. We have received what it is that you would tell us through your word, and I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for letting me just pray for a minute. I I felt like I needed to just catch up with uh, where we are. We're in a series in Hebrews that we are calling Better. And uh, I, I hope that uh, if you're just kind of kicking the tires on what Christianity might be like, that you wouldn't hear that as arrogant. That you wouldn't uh, ours is better than yours. What 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 the writer of Hebrews is trying to do is just sort of lay out a case for how it's better than all the other stuff we've tried. And whenever we use the word "better," that means there's other stuff we've tried. We've tried it on our own, we've tried this philosophy, we've tried this theory, we've tried this hobby, and, and, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, listen, there is a better way. And so in our study in Hebrews, we, we've kind of said there's, there's three main kind of storylines that are going on. One, he wants to encourage us, because even though the days are really, really hard, uh, Jesus is there. He He wants us not to uh, drift. He He wants us not to try to go back to something that we felt like was working, even if it wasn't, just because right now we can't see God, we can't touch God, we can't we can't seem to to get around that. And finally, he he wants to tell us just just a reminder: all of you are going to try a bunch of other stuff. All of you are going to be exposed to a bunch of other stuff. At the end of the day, Jesus is better. And so he started off chapter 2 with the word therefore, which means that he's building on some stuff that was going on in chapter 1. He starts chapter 3 the same way with the word better. Now I want to call what we're talking about today, I want to call it protect this house. And let me explain when we build a house or, or buy a house or move into a house or live in a house, we, we've got this kind of boundary thing going on, right? We've, we've got this sense of comfort. We've got this sense of, of being home. If, if you've been away for a while and you see me, I'm probably going to greet you with welcome home. Because in in this fellowship, we have a similar thing. We can pray about each other's hurts and we can be honest about the the places. We've got 400 of you involved in small groups right now talking about experiencing God and, and some of the things where we're having trouble trusting or we're having trouble placing our faith or we're discouraged about something or we're not so sure about something else. It, it's home right it's it's a, a place where we can feel like we can let our guard down a little bit there there's something really really great about home I, I I love home I I love the sense that that when I get home at the end of the day or when I get home after a trip there's there's just something about pulling into the garage and and, and knowing that that security is around me that's what the writer is trying to help us with he he uses the word house about six times in the first six verses here, and he's he's trying to say there is a house that God has built, and it's better than your self-sufficiency. It's better than clinging to material things. It's better than philosophies. It's better than, than, than other stuff. It's better, and that's where he's trying to go. A few years ago, Under Armour did a Campaign, uh, an advertising thing, and that was their their deal. Protect this house, because in athletics, uh, the home stadium, or the home ice rink, or the home gym, the for a professional team or a college team, that that you're not supposed to lose at home. You're supposed to win at home. You're supposed, and so Under Armour did this grimy, kind of sweaty commercial thing that he called "Protect This." House. Just this week, there was a a, a thing in the paper, uh, and it was celebrating all the nonprofits in Atlanta that were doing such a, a good job. And uh, the the quote that was summoned was that of the late John Lewis, congressman, who said, "We are all one house. We are Atlanta, Georgia." And it, it it's that same emotion, right? we're We're all in this together. We're in the walls, we're we're secure here. it's a it's a good thing. and I, I don't know about you, maybe you don't feel that way. but but that's the way home ought to be. If you are my age or a little older or a little younger, you remember a band called Audio Adrenaline. And they had a song called My Father's House. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of room. It's a big, big table with lots and lots of food. It's a big, big yard where we can play football. It's a big, big house. It's My Father's House. You're welcome. That song will be in your head the rest of the day. But uh, all of this comes together, and the writer of Hebrews starts off by saying, hey, there's a, a house that's worth protecting. And unless the Lord builds it, you labor in vain. So so the, the verses, I'm going to read them, but I'm going to put them up here. Uh, my wife is not here. She is in Colorado on a girl's trip, which means I wasn't invited. And so she would fuss at me for having too many words on the screen, but she's not here. He starts off, therefore, which means that he's yeah. Whenever you see that word, the old joke is you look to see what it's there for. But what he's really doing is he's saying, "I've stated a principle, and now I'm going to show you some application." Uh, and, and in chapter two, he stated a principle: don't drift, don't don't be discouraged, don't don't get away from from what's going on here. So so he says now, therefore, and then he identifies the audience: holy brothers, ladies. The word means brothers and sisters. You're not off the hook. It, it really is. Every commentator that I looked at this week, they, they, they all said the word is an inclusive word. It's a, it means both brothers and sisters. So therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you share in the, holy, in the heavenly calling, consider Jesus. So there's a lot there. It says that you've been called to something. You've been invited into this house you you've been you 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 had a an invitation we'll leave the light on the front door is open the 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 sofa bed is pulled out and and it's made it's it's a sense that you have a a calling but I like that next word that next line because it it kind of sets up the whole thing he says consider jesus and so again the backdrop is you're tempted to go back to the old ways. If for you for some reason, it was more comfortable to think of the way they did the Old Testament where, where if you do something awful, you just slaughter a goat and it'll be better. And somehow God is pleased with the sacrifices as though that tangible act is something better. and what he's trying to say to you is that there is something better but it's not a goat, it's Jesus. The word consider there, let me tell you a story. When I was in high school, um, my father had promised each of us four kids a car if we could graduate from high school without smoking a cigarette. It's what people did back in the 70s. And so, you know, we weren't really interested in cigarettes. We'd taken enough car trips with our parents while they smoked to the point of, I think they call that aversion therapy, but uh, we, we didn't have any interest in smoking. And so when I was a uh, sophomore in high school, I, I told my dad, you know, I'm not going to smoke. How about if I get my car now? Delayed gratification was not really a thing. And my dad, wise businessman that he had, I phrased it this way. I said, would you consider letting me have my car now? And my dad said, consider it, considered. End of discussion. (laughs) No car on the horizon. (laughs) Consider it, consider. Well, that's not what this word means. It's not a, a, a flippant, quirky, cute response to put your arrogant teenage son in his place. That's not what this means. This means ponder it. Meditate on it. Think about all of the ramifications, all of the implications, all of the applications. Consider Jesus. You're tempted to to come up with your own solution, your own self-sufficiency, your own hobbies, your, your material things, your resources, your ability to solve problems. You're tempted to go to all of that, but I want you to consider Jesus. And so, He's already sort of highlighted for us the the supremacy of Christ. But now he starts and he changes gears a little bit in the metaphor. He said, consider Jesus. He was our high priest. He's our confession. He was faithful to, to, to those who appointed him. And now he throws in Moses. Odd little inclusion here. But he was going somewhere with it. It's like when Jesus talked to farmers, he talked about farming. When Jesus talked to fishermen, he talked about fish. And when this writer is talking to Jewish people, he's talking about things that Jewish people think are really important. And so when he uses the image of the house, they're thinking about the temple in Jerusalem, this magnificent building that that Solomon built, and it was sort of the, 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 the place where God was, His presence, His, His tangible presence. There was this big, beautiful building, and that's where God lives. That's His house. And then the second thing they thought was, Moses is the greatest guy ever. He was the original prophet. He was the one that led them out of slavery. He was the one that gave us the law. And so the writer of Hebrews, writing to Hebrew Christians, Jewish Christians, he's saying, listen, I'm setting you up a little bit because I'm going to tell you about something that's better than the temple and something that's better than Moses. I've already told you he's better than the angels, and all y'all believe that angels deliver messages, and, and I'm telling you the message is better than the messenger, and now I'm going to tell you is that the one who built the house is better than the one who lives in it. And so he he starts off, he says he's he's, he's counted with more glory than Moses, much more glory, verse 3, As the builder of a house. By the way, if you uh, have a a swipey thing on your phone, it's great if you follow along because some of these words are really interesting. There's a a Bible in the in the seat in front of you. Unless you're on the front row, then it's in the seat behind you. Uh, The uh, it's, it's great to follow along with some of these words. It says he is the builder of the house, and the builder has more honor than the house itself. And when you, you think about when you ever take a tour of a town like Chicago or, or New York or New Orleans where, where, where they, they want to tell you about some famous architect that did that building, some famous builder that did that building. In New Orleans, their big deal is a shipyard. So that's where they built the landing boats that, that, that landed on the beaches of, of D-Day, That's that's where they built the Higgins boat. Let me tell you about a guy named Higgins. And so the builder is is worthy of more honor than the building itself. He says, every house is built by someone, and the builder of all things is God. Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant, but, verse 6, Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And so you've got this this really interesting thing. He's challenging him in the Old Testament world to think of what you hold on to for your hope. A temple. The words of Moses. The words of the angels. And he says all of that is kind of a house Moses was faithful in that house. The angels were faithful with their words. The temple is cool, but consider Jesus. And all of a sudden, you're comparing the Old Testament, where everything was about us bringing sacrifice, to the New Testament, where everything is about God bringing sacrifice. Sacrifice. And so the the writer of Hebrews, it's genius what he's doing here. He's he's switching gears, but whether you're in the 1st century or the 21st century, he's making you think about what you put your trust in. Think about that. The reason that we have addiction, misplaced trust. The reason we have workaholics, misplaced trust. The reason that we have uh, 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 politics that are toxic or or government that seems to be out of control, it's it's misplaced trust. And what the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell those folks, and and us as well, is to, to sort of redirect your trust. And he says, if you don't it's not going to go well, but again, he talks about the illustration of a house, the builder of a house, the people who live in the house. And, and, and I started off by, by talking about one of, the, one of the greatest phrases that we can ever utter is, I'm home. I am within the, the place where it's, it's my happy place. I, I'm in the home that is Dunwoody Baptist Church. I, I'm in this room. I'm in this place. I'm in my small group, and, and I can let my guard down. I can take my shoes off. I can throw an afghan over my lap. I, I can be home, and it, it sort of gives us this, this idea of comfort. And it also maybe sets us up to remember the story that that Jesus told in Luke about the prodigal son who decided that his ways were better ways, that his ideas were better ideas, that his dad didn't really know anything, and he was willing to leave the comfort and security of home to go what? Try his own thing. Self-sufficiency, self-preservation, self-uplifting. And he ends up in a place that he didn't want to be, which is pretty much what all of us do when we say, hey, God, I know better than you. So then he says, there's a a cautionary tale about this. He switches gears again. We know that he switches gears again because he uses the word therefore again. He goes from verse six where he says, we are his house. We, we are the house if, if we hold fast to the things that he's taught us. And he starts with the word therefore again. He says, therefore, if. And he begins a, a tale about what happens if we harden our hearts. Martin Luther King talked in 1959. He preached a sermon uh, called uh, Steadfast Minds tender hearts tough minds tender hearts and he was saying we've got to be tough minded when there are things that we come across in the culture that that oppose the things of God and of course for for him it was the the way that people were being treated unfairly and and with a with with horrible horrible treatment but he was also talking about the just the evil that's prevalent in the world. And he, and he said, whenever we come upon evil, we've got to have tough minds. But as we approach the evil with tough minds, we've also got to have tender hearts. We, we can't ever get a, a hard edge, a cynicism, a, a sarcasm that, 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 that points us to the accomplishments of men and not the favor of God. He said, we've got to have tender hearts when we with love combat evil with the gospel. And I, I get that. That's what the, the writer of Hebrews here is saying. He's saying, again, too many words. He's saying, today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts. Don't, don't harden your hearts. I, I, I actually found something uh, that, that hit the, the news feed between the two services. So, this is bonus content for only this service. One of the bloggers I follow says the Bible warns about the danger of a hard heart. It warns that a heart can be so hardened that it becomes resistant even to the words of God. It warns that a hard heart is not repentant. And a hard heart falls under God's judgment. But then he said this, incredibly insightful. He said that never takes place all at once. Hard hearts don't happen all at once. Uh, Some of you have had a crushing, crushing disappointment, a, a hard piece of news even this week. But it's likely that you may have been wounded, but hard hearts take time. This is the way he illustrated it. The hardest hearts were soft once, and the softest hearts can get hard. The chalk which now holds the fossil shells, was once moist ooze. The calloused hand of toil was once full of soft dimples. The murderer once shuddered when, as a boy, he crushed a worm. Judas must have been a tender, compressionable lad once." But hearts harden gradually like the freezing of a pond on a frosty night. At first the process can be detected by none but a practiced eye. Then there is a thin film of ice so slender that a pin or a needle would fall through. At length it will sustain a pebble. And if winter still holds its unbroken sway, a child, a man, a crowd, a cart will follow. We get hard through the steps of an unperceived process. That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Takes Takes time. But over time, if we don't return to God, if we don't return to, the, to considering Jesus, if we don't return to the ways that are better ways, that our heart becomes hard. And his illustration is, is interesting. He said, Today, if you, do, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. Now, I don't know, the rebellion. It's not a rebellion or some rebellion. It's a specific event that he's thinking about, one that took place 1,500 years before he's writing. He said there was a time when people of Israel heard God's words because Moses came down from Mount Sinai. There was a time when people understood that there is a way to love God and love people. There there is an expectation from God that we treat each other like we should be treated and that we would have this mind that is in Christ Jesus. There was an expectation even back then. He said, but the people didn't listen. He said that your fathers put me to the test, verse 9, saw my works for 40 years. This is referring to the Exodus when they wandered around in the desert, somewhere between slavery in Egypt and the land of promise that he had told them. Verse 10, I was provoked with the generation. Verse 11, I swore in my wrath, they will not enter my rest. And the caution in verse 12, take care brothers, lest there be any of you in an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But encourage each other every day as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What a What a a warning. What a a tender caution. But it makes us wonder, well, how does that process happen? I'm wondering. I don't know about you. How how do you you know if your heart is hard? How how do you know if you've wandered away from considering Jesus? How how do you even know? One I called relapse. Relapse. You relapsed into an indifference about God. Relapse is is to try to hang on to something from the past. It's it's to try to go back to something that gave you a momentary high. It's about something in the past. Relapse into indifference about God. Number two, belief. You you replace the the things of considering Jesus with a hobby, with a self-sufficiency, with a can-do attitude. And many of us have, have come upon something that was just too big for us. Unbelief turns into self-sufficiency. Uh, your heart is hard if you just keep asking God for a sign. You know, you make deals. God, if you'll only let me pass the algebra test, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. I'll be a missionary if that's what you want. And you you, you kind of put God on the on on the place where he's constantly got to do tricks in order for you to remain faithful. And that's a hard heart. A hard heart presumes on the mercy of God. God, I know I'm about to do something that you told me not to do. I know it, you know it. People who love me probably knows it. But I'm gonna do it anyway because you'll forgive me. I'm under grace. A hard heart presumes on the mercy of God. Kind of a downer if we ended it there, wouldn't it? Well, the writer of Hebrews goes on, and we're going to talk much more about this next week, but I want to I end where I started. The writer here is trying to tell us there is rest at home. And he said, those people who wandered around in the, in the wilderness, they never came back to me. They didn't enter the rest. They didn't, they didn't enter this place of rest. And so rest is the, is the heart of God. Rest is, is the home. Rest is the, 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 the place where we feel secure and loved and provided for. And again, the story of the prodigal son. The, the prodigal son was off somewhere doing his own thing, and his own thing began to go badly, and the first thing he thought of was, my father's servants are, are much better off than I am. And, and God is pulling us back to himself. He's saying, he's saying do a little self-examination. Is your heart hard? Are, are you caught up trying to do your own thing? And I distinctly heard him say, Alan, because that, 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 that aim's pretty close to home. There are lots of times when, when I say, I'll fix it. All it takes is a little bit of work. All it takes is a little bit of money. All it takes is a little bit of time. All it takes is me doing. But he's saying to us, consider Jesus. Consider the Father. Consider the love that he has for us. Come home. Come home. He says it this way, very last verse. He says, we see that they, the rebellious ones in the story, were unable to enter because of their unbelief. In the story of the prodigal, it would be like the prodigal son says, I'm in a horrible place, but I'm going to blame it on this. I'm going to blame it on that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep on doing what I've been doing and think that it's going to change. And we call that the definition of insanity. Instead, he said, I belong at home. I belong at home. And to you who are here for the first time or the first time in a long time or you started doing your laundry list and decided that your heart was hard, You belong at home. Would you pray with me? God, there are folks in here who need somebody to talk to right now. They want to receive you as Lord, Savior. They want to know what it's like to be in this house. I pray that this would be a day when they would find a pastor, find a, a person in the lobby, a greeter, a friend, somebody on their row, and say, tell me how to get home. There are people in here that when I said the word addiction, I said the word anxiety, fear, uncertainty. Those were words that just triggered all kinds of emotion. And they know they need to come home. They need to, to pray with somebody to rest in the fact that the Father knows best, to consider Jesus. So Jesus, speak over us today. The song said, your name is power. Your name is healing. Speak over us today, Jesus. Builder of the house who lets us live in it. Give us a sense of your presence that As we go into this week, right back into all the temptations to to fix it ourselves, that you will let us rely on you, return home to you, rest in you. For this is my prayer in Jesus' name.